Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays at this time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Very, very important week um, for Israel, to say the least. And I, and I say it with that a sigh. Uh, because of the uh, the losses that the Jewish people incurred this week, and we can't neglect to discuss that, which we will. But first, the Operation Bayit Vigan, Home and Garden, is it considered a success? Overall, yes. I think it shattered the image of Janine as a safe haven for terrorists, and they know now they're on very uh, shaky ground. This is not going to be, unfortunately, the last operation that will be necessary there. But it was successful in that they blew up many manufacturing sites. Uh, They met very little resistance considering the number of terrorists in Janine. 12 terrorists were were, uh, killed, even though none of the media says they're terrorists. All of them say 12 people in Janine as if they were you know, innocence, and I'm sure there were some people who were bystanders who got shot during the exchanges, uh, but the Israelis were, uh, army was very careful. They had targeted uh, places, and it seems that the uh, terrorists lost their will to fight or were intimidated. Now the anger in Janine is directed at the PA because their security forces did not respond to the Israelis coming in. And they felt that much more should have been done, but they're not going to put their lives on the line, uh, as we have seen in the past as well. So while the media coverage has been so distorted, I mean, not in an unprecedented way, but in a vicious way, BBC amongst the worst, and even though they're broadcast here on NPR and others, uh, anybody who listens to it doesn't protest them, uh, it would be uh, really uh, unfortunate. Because they said to Bennett, in an interview with Bennett, uh, that Israelis are happy to kill children. They issued an apology, the leadership issued an apology, but the broadcaster, as far as I know, has not. And once that kind of a lie gets out and gets repeated, and every time the story of the retraction gets repeated, um, the, the image is left that Israel came in, destroyed the place, they tore up roads, not because... They were destroying the roads, but because they they had a, a prevent against IEDs and these explosive devices, the roadside mines, etc., that were planted in many places, and they had learned this technology from uh, some of their counterparts and Hamas, obviously teaching them the stuff that they've done in Gaza. So the you know the messages that came out were far uh, apart from the reality that uh, unfortunately exists there. But as we know, you know, this is a heavily populated place. Uh, They did not um, destroy the infrastructure of terror, but that the the blow to their ability is very, is very strong. And and the fact that you didn't have uh, civilian casualties is one of the successes, as uh, the defense minister pointed out. It seemed like, um, to those of us who follow the news, it seemed like this operation came out of nowhere um is 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 the impression that way because normally operations like this are in response to rocket fire are in response to a barrage 
of uh, activity by the enemy. Um, and in this case, it just seemed like there was no... Uh, it, 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 it usually seems like Israel announces they are going into somewhere to eradicate terror cells in response to what the enemy has done. It looked like this was not the case this time around. They uh, no, this was well planned for a long time. It was a response to the fact that they that, uh, they believed that they attempted to launch a missile, a rocket from Janine. Uh, they also knew about the manufacturing places and, you know, they confiscated uh, large amounts of uh, guns, bullets, uh, weapons, IEDs, money, Israeli uh, passport, you know, where they were they had obviously stolen and Israeli license plates uh, and the weapons that they found, um, you can see online, it's a tremendous array and manufacturing sites for them. So they knew these things existed and had to wait for the right time, the right process to, to go in. And remember, this is a war against Iran, basically. This is Iranian operations. This is Iranian-funded. It's Hamas it's the, and others who are present there. And Israel couldn't allow any more, thus the random killings. And their hope, the hope is that this would dissuade others from engaging it. So far, obviously, as we've seen post-Jenin, that uh, unfortunately every day, uh, somebody is being killed, but these generally uh, are described as uh, operatives who have connections to. One was the son of a Hamas leader, and others were, were with other connections. But I think that they will be more careful in the way that they carry out these attacks. And you know, the White House uh, defended Israel's right to to defend itself and condemn the terrorism. But at the same time, said that you know they have to express uh, restraint and you have to make sure to protect civilians and et cetera, et cetera, which I think Israel did with the remarkable results. What happens now to these over 100 terrorists? Do they all get arrested and jailed? Are they released soon after? Like, what happens to this this distinct group of uh, of terrorists and those affiliated with terror activities that they captured? Well, they didn't capture under the hundred who were wounded. They captured some who will be brought back for interrogation. Oh, I thought I some heard that there were like 120 arrests. No, there were a lot of arrests with the people they interrogate, and there were, and they will be subject to, you know, uh, being to being imprisoned if a case against them can be shown that they were directly involved, which is the case because Israel knew each one. They they obviously have been using technology in a very constructive and uh, <laughs> very effective way, yeah. uh, including drones and ways that they followed people and having pictures. So they will be interrogated. They will be brought to, uh, to some sort of a military court to be assessed. Did you notice in the uh, first 24 hours of the operation, media sources out of Israel were predicting that this could go on for weeks or months, and then 48 hours later it was essentially over? I was wondering if that was a, um, a, a media push against the current administration in Israel, trying to scare people into thinking that they're getting Israelis into a months-long quagmire, uh, when in reality it was never the case. I think that was uh, that's true, and it's reflective of the kind of coverage the media gives anything associated with the government, and uh, even 
not the government, as in this case. Uh, the fact that Israeli soldiers uh, came out, there was one fatality, but uh, that the, the expectations was that there were potential for many more. I have friends whose children were leaders in this operation, and they were dreading the, the results, but said how well prepared they were. I actually stumbled onto it when I, I, would, I had a meeting with the prime minister uh, last week, and they kept coming in to him, and he said, give me 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. And then when I walked out, I walked right into the head of the Shin Bet, the head of the Mossad, Hertzi Levy, the chief of uh, the army, uh, head of IDF, uh, Galan, the defense minister. They were all standing in the lobby, so I had a chance to wholesale meet with everybody I wanted, I was going to see. And they had they all went then into the room for the discussion on Janine, where the final orders were given to... Um, to take the action. So it was well-coordinated. There were all the top brass in, in one room at one time uh, with the prime minister where they laid it out. And I think it, it clearly was not a hazard move. And the fact that they could accomplish what they wanted so soon, and again, it's not everything. It's not a destruction of the terrorist infrastructure, but it certainly sets them back and they were able to target. If you see the destruction, they say, uh, you know, homes were destroyed. Take a look. When you see that when they hit a place and all of a sudden there are secondary explosions, you know that these are factories for explosives. And and thousands of people left Janine because they were given warning. Nobody was stopped leaving. There was no, you know, targeting of, of uh, people escaping. And amongst them certainly were, were terrorists. <sighs> Uh, you mentioned at the top of this conversation that this is not the last time they're going to have to go in. I, I mean, it is a legitimate analysis, I would say, or, or certainly a, um, uh, a legitimate comment when people say, why go back? Why not just, quote, unquote, finish the job now? And I know this is always a big issue, especially among Israeli government officials and the Israeli press. Uh, but it, there was great success. Could they have accomplished more if they would have stayed longer? Certainly they would accomplish more, but you put the soldiers more and more at risk as long as you stay there. Second of all, you know, Israel is not immune to the world reaction and knowing that cutting it where they did, where they felt that they had, um, you know, destroyed 14 of the command posts and the hideouts that were used by, by uh, terrorist coordinate activities. These were like war rooms, six uh, bomb-making facilities, and they found over 300 bombs and chemicals and all the sort of stuff needed to make these bonds, bombs and six underground shafts. And uh, I forgot all the other things that were destroyed. So I think that they felt that this is uh, very significant. And again, it doesn't clean it out. But, you know, operating in Janine is, is so complicated. And people should look at the picture, how densely populated it is. They also keep on referring to a refugee camp. Maybe 1% are refugees anymore. These are all the descendants and descendants of descendants, and as well as, rep as people who live there. Uh, but they, it sort of makes it all more egregious if they attack a refugee camp. And um, so 
staying longer might have come at too, too high a cost. You know, it's funny because, I mean, outside of maybe, you know, the last week of the year, this is a pretty good week to go about something if you want the world not to pay attention, or at least you want the United States not to pay attention. I can't imagine that the Israelis make these decisions based on the American calendar. But this is one of those weeks where, you know, the, the regular columnists are off, and a lot of people in Washington aren't paying much attention, frankly, it being such a big vacation week. I Again, I, I'm not suspecting that, they're, that they went ahead and planned it that way, but all I'm saying is that it is somewhat to the advantage of, of, of those who want to keep Israel out of the news. Also, is the U.N. in session now? Like, how did they, did they react to this even? Yes, the Secretary General issued horrific statements. Really, and, this, and today there's going to be a session of the U.N. on it, on the Janine events. Um, you know, and, but the Secretary General really went out of, uh, far beyond the normal discourse and the, the language he used about Israelis uh, failing to protect civilians, etc. And, you know, he goes the way of all his predecessors who start off as friends, as as neutral, as uh, open, and become more and more critical and more as the UN uh, body sucks them in and the mechanisms of the UN swallow them and direct them into these uh, horrific ways. But it's interesting to note that the Abraham Accord countries, despite the fewer in many of the countries, uh, over many Arab states, uh, as evidenced by, for instance, um, Saudi Arabia's very strong statements condemning it, but they are sticking with Israel and and, and standing by uh, uh, the agreements that they signed, and the economic interests are going to trump any outrage that they feel. And, and as you know, that many of them, in conversations with us, the leaders in Arab countries are no longer. Uh, placing this issue, the Palestinian issue, at the top of their list. In fact, many of them say it's the bottom of their list because it's a kleptocracy. You see that the government has done nothing. It's no relevance to anything. Uh, Abbas is despised by 80% of the of the people. And in fact, during this very week, there was an agreement between one of the Emirates, Ras al-Khaimah, an economic zone um, it's deal, that was, um, which expands the mutual investment, the manufacturing, uh, and other things, uh, was signed this week, this past week after the Janine events. So I think it, 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 it is of concern to them because it puts them on the defensive more, and some of them will have to make performance statements, but uh, it's it, it is not undermining it. And I think in most of our worlds, you don't get the kind of outrage that uh, some would pre- pre- predict because there's less and less sympathy for, for the fact that they poured the tens of billions of dollars, that they're involved in terrorism, and they all know that Iran is behind it and read the statements by Iranian leaders. And you see that, uh, you know, how close the connection and how they're bolstering, they, as they called it, regional resistance uh, with support for Janine. And they, they uh, always, by the way, portray the judicial reform demonstrations as evidence of Israel's vulnerability and weakness and imminent downfall. And uh, the, the, uh, the daily uh, state-run and social media, outlet, media and social media outlets constantly harangue this, uh, this message. And even the U.N. mission from Iran talked about, um, that talked about, the diplomacy not working against Palestinians, they're right, but that uh, only casualties 
can force Israel to to uh, change its policy. So they support any request for assistance from the Palestinian resistance, which, as you know, they operate Hamas, the Hezbollah, Pidge um, in particular. They're all funded by, by Iran. And the thought that we are going to give them or allow them access to billions and tens of billions of dollars is uh, all the more egregious. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSiegel.com, on the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So when they say that Hamas, I'm assuming for a moment I'm getting this right. You'll tell me if, the, if I'm mislabeling the players. If Hamas is weakened because of what Israel just did in Janine, then it strengthens other um, uh, terrorist groups that are operating within and near Israel. I guess Islamic Jihad would be a good example of that. Uh, but based on what you're saying regarding Iranian support, it's really not true. It's, just, it's, it's one big operation that happens to have different names in different regions, right? Uh, well, it's, it's complicated, but you're, you're making actually a very important point about what happens with the balance. The actual truth is that Hamas uh, and, and Kij, but much more Hamas, has been working to establish itself in Yudin Shomron, in the West Bank, in those areas uh, under PA control, to challenge the government, which is, as I said, and we've talked about it for a long time, is so weak, right. uh, ineffective, uh, corrupt which is probably should be the first thing because everybody knows it uh, inside and they have no faith in in the government whatsoever. And Hamas is trying to take advantage of it to expand its role. As you know, they they opened in Lebanon with Hezbollah's objection first, but with Iranian backing and created a presence because they're willing to do some things that I guess Hezbollah is not, Uh, but also to gain a foothold so that if there are elections, and the recent elections in universities in the uh, territories uh, occupied, uh, uh, ruled by Palestinian Authority, uh, which has yet to prove its legitimacy, uh, they, they, the Hamas slaves have won. And this is not insignificant. I know people wouldn't think about what happens on a university campus, which party wins, although we should monitor it because it's reflective of the extremism on our own campus is uh, gaining dominance but there it's usually a precursor and to see that and it's taken very seriously and when you see that the hamas's uh, slates and other extreme slates were winning more and more support it tells you about what the the mood is and what the direction uh in inside is so the palestinian islamic jihad is working but hamas has it seems much more of an infrastructure and a base to become a political party, political force there. Uh, and when the PA suspends uh, security cooperation with Israel, which they made a big deal and announced that at some point during the operation, does that, does that get reinstated immediately? Like whatever cooperation there is, is that happening again now? Look, the, the cooperation benefits them as much as Israel, maybe much more, uh, because these terrorists and these guys are not supportive of the PA. They hate the PA. They want to get rid of them. And the PA people are not willing to take on any of their responsibilities. It's their responsibility as the, uh, as the responsible power in charge to root out terrorism and to go after people who are building factories, bombs, and they know where all of this is. It's not like 
you know, it's a secret to them. So it's their responsibility, and they're, they're not exercising it. And I can tell you that even while they were making the announcement that they're severing Basit, severing all cooperation coordination, they were cooperating and coordinating with uh, Israel and getting information, sharing the stuff. Um, again, because it's, it's in their interest, it's their security, but they weren't willing to challenge because they, uh, you know, they're very happy, and many other groups are very happy for Israel to do the dirty work for, for the rest because they're not willing to take responsibility. And uh, this operation, of course, did not in any way uh, cease the terror activities of the enemy. We see what happened in Kedumim. We see what happened in Tel Aviv this week. I, I know that we emphasize the fact that, uh, thank God, Israeli intelligence, the army, police, security, etc., do such an amazing job at uh, squelching these uh, terror attempts. But uh, some obviously are successful, at least from the point of view of the enemy. And um, I, I guess it's – I have to assume, just based on recent activities, that it's unrelated to the operation in Janine, correct? I'm sorry. I'd have, to, assu- I'd have to assume because of the way the enemy has been uh, behaving recently, the, the operation in Janine was irrelevant. They were still going ahead with these terror attacks in Tel Aviv, Kidumim, etc., whether there was an operation in Janine or not. Yes, but you can also say that maybe these are people who operated while they have connections to terrorist entities, not at the instruction of, but always after an incident, after an exchange, even the larger exchange, let's say with Gaza, they always do something afterwards to show that they're still alive and still capable of carrying out terrorist attacks or individuals who seek martyrdom, mostly because you got paid a slay. And, um, well, for ideological and other reasons, but they get paid a slave, meaning that they're going to, their families will be taken care of. If they're caught, they will be taken care of for the rest of their lives by the Palestinian authorities. Something so outrageous and egregious. And we talk about it a hundred times and yet, and and have tried to get the U.S., others have taken steps and it doesn't matter because the PA doesn't care about the people. And so you can have people who go out there, the one who killed us, his cousin, engaged in a terrorist attack before. You know, they, they are indoctrinated. They, they look for this martyrdom status. They, they, uh, and it's heroic to take a car and drive into people on the street in Tel Aviv. And the media says, a man drove a car, ran the car. I heard this. A man drove in. Not that he was a Palestinian. Not that he can, can, conducted an act of terror on the streets. And unfortunately, I've heard too much in the American media over this week also distorting and downplaying what the reality is on the ground, what Israel went in to root out. I and mean, can you imagine if we had in Canada, Mexico, you know, uh, a, a terrorist entities and the government's not doing anything, that we wouldn't go in there and take the action necessary? Nobody would put up with this. Nobody is putting up with it. And the price is, is very high. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, you were in Israel. You were just in Israel. Um, can you explain what's going on in the halls of the Knesset that have ramped up and escalated these judicial reform rallies to the point they've gotten to this week? Honestly, no. <laughs> I don't understand it. And uh, I frankly spent very little time on it. There are too many other issues. I met with most of the leadership in the Knesset and the government and but, and uh, also attended the July 4th event, the last event of Ambassador Nides, who is leaving this week uh, from uh, from Israel. 
um, but had um, multiple opportunities to, to speak to people. Frankly, I don't get into the issue because I don't understand all the nuances. It's still the dominant issue. Yeah, but I was it's just curious really- why it, it ignited a fire under everybody this week. I mean, the rallies and demonstrations, which are so hard to watch. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was that happened because this week. Because it's a response. Every time the government says we're going to come up with a new, man, a new policy or a new aspect of it or diminish it, and they cut it back a lot. I mean, the prime minister, you know, took away what was seen as the most controversial parts, and it doesn't help because... The opposition sees this as tremendous leverage. It sees it as an opportunity. They won't let this issue die because it's what has rallied support in the polls uh, for them. And the every time there is something that relates to it, decisions that come up, etc., they will they will rally uh, their people against it. And the you know after I think twenty seven weeks of this, nobody predicted it would go this long. And the size would be able to be sustained, let's see, over the summer with the vacations and everything, if, if it uh, still remains that. But certainly it's, um, it, it is something that uh, people talk about. Obviously, Janine took precedence during, during the few days. But uh, it's become a rallying call, and it has exposed the divisions within Israeli society, which I hope will be constructively addressed. Uh, there are some positive backlashes, especially regarding uh, some of the excesses against the Haredi communities, for instance, that people are now reaching out, high-tech others, to look at how they can help employment and and work with the communities. So I I hope some good will come of it. But right now, it projects, uh, for one thing, an image of Israel's democracy, but on the other hand, is perceived by others as a sign of instability and weakness on the part of, of the infrastructure in Israel. The last time this happened, when it got to a really high, you know, a boiling point area, uh, they figured out a way in the Knesset to delay everything. Do you assume, do you assume it's going to be the same tactic? It'll all be, del- if, or, or, unless, as you just described, Netanyahu is ready to just, you know, accept, I don't know, 10% of the whole deal, and uh, hopefully that'll calm everybody down. Otherwise, they're going to have to delay it again in order to just postpone these types of activities. Well, he, he, remember, it's not he alone. He's got uh, people who are very devoted to this. The young Levin, uh, who are you know uh, insistent on on moving ahead and don't want to see war done, but but at least to move ahead. And if they give them something, then and and he could enact it. But he's trying to be constructive in the sense of not forcing through something that will then just rile the people more, become more of a rallying point, and uh, more divisive. Uh, so he, it is the opposition that refuses to sit and negotiate, uh, for the large part, with, uh, with the government people. You remember they had the talks in the president's house. It was they who walked away from it. And uh, Ron Dermer, certainly an experienced and open guy that they were meeting with, and some of them even said positive things about him. But they walked away from that and from, from those talks. So they see the political advantage in keeping this going. Uh, and certainly, you know, Benny Gantz has emerged as the number one party. The opposition would have uh, more votes than, than the coalition today has. So we have to see how it settles down. But once you politicize issues in Israel and elsewhere, um, you see it on, on comparable issues with our Supreme Court and the reactions to some of the rulings. Uh, people will, will always exploit it. And I think it's very unfortunate because of the damage it does to Israel's image. I think that the way they started out this pro- the, this effort was wrong. I think they've tried now to correct it, 
in hindsight that that there wasn't a consultation. They, they, they just came bull, try to bulldoze this through. But the prime minister has a hard time. He has a, the difficult partners. He has a, the, you know, a small margin, uh, enough to get things through if he wanted to, but he's, he's trying not to ram things through. Uh, and to create further further fissures. Latest poll actually has him ahead of Gantz, I assume, because of this... Uh, after Janine. Yeah, after Janine. Yeah. I didn't realize that the coalitions, the blocks, would actually be in favor of Gantz now over Netanyahu's block. That's that's quite significant, frankly. Uh, it, yet, it, it's yet significant, another- and that's what I'm referring to, is that you've got to look at what will, who will determine the outcome of the next Knesset. Right. And obviously, it's the people, but the political blocks and alliances and alignments are very vital in Israeli politics because of the smaller parties and the bigger parties and who would get in, who would not get in. It's shifting all the time. Who gets across the four-vote minimum for for uh, be part of the next Knesset uh, to be in the elections for the next Knesset? Right. And major parties are not. The Labour Party doesn't make it, for instance. Very interesting. Um, all right, well, I, don't, I don't know how much time we'll have for this. If we have to continue next week, we will. But uh, we, we didn't have an opportunity to speak last week, and we certainly could have used your expertise to to answer the question that was on everybody's mind one week ago, and that is, was there a coup against Vladimir Putin, or was there not a coup attempt against Vladimir Putin? So... You know, first of all, you can't tell in Russia today what is true, what is not true. There are a lot of questionable actions, you know, when they were within striking distance of Moscow. Why did they meet no resistance on the way the Wagner group? Why supposedly the head of the Wagner group is back in Moscow now and not in Belarus, supposedly? I mean, again, you know, there are sightings and things which uh, people cite, but... uh, uh, it's clearly reflective, and it's, it did a lot of damage within the, the military. It uh, led to the dismissal of people, some quietly, some more openly. Uh, did it rally the people to behind Putin, which is why he may have welcomed this, uh, perhaps somewhat. But the, um, the divisions in, in, in within Russia over the war, the cost of the war, you know, the wisdom of it, is very great. People generally are patriotic and supporting, and the public support is what's manifest in the media. Critics are being silenced. But the the true nature of the Wagner Group, you remember, which was formed a, a long time ago, I think, to, for the war in Chechnya, uh, and goes back to them when they to to uh, for years ago, and have played a continuing role in Africa, in other places where they. Uh, fulfilled the missions of Russia without using Russian troops per se, and uh, you know a lot of people have likened them to very uh, bad precedents in, in the past, uh, and that uh, even saying making neo-Nazi comparisons and stuff. Though I don't know that there's a particular basis for it, but certainly their views are extreme. Their methods are very dangerous. And, they, and, and it gave him excusability to say that there wasn't, you know, Russian forces. It was this Wagner group. But clearly they were operating and were funded and funded well. They got paid much more than Russian troops, uh, for instance, got paid. Now we'll see whether these soldiers will really integrate at lower pay scales without the freedom of movement and the um, status that they had before as part of the Wagner group. 
So is Putin weaker than he was two weeks ago? He's certainly not stronger, and he, to my mind, uh, weaker in the sense that he's not threatened by the Wagner Group carrying a coup if there was any real uh, anything real behind that and the reports about a coup, attempted coup. Uh, but he himself has been exposed, I think, continuously because of the the, the uh, setbacks in Ukraine. It was expected to be a short war, a quick capture. It is not. They've taken heavy losses. Uh, I think people are not aware of how heavy the losses Russian troops have experienced in, in the war in Ukraine. Uh, the damage and death is devastation that it's creating for, for both is, is astonishing. You know, the first days, uh, the Ukrainians captured uh, huge numbers of armored vehicles, tanks, and other things that the Russian soldiers just left behind. There's no real incentive for them to fight. And he's recruiting more and more people. Their criminals are being taken out of jails, given two weeks training, and sent to the front. Uh, and... You know, that's a sign of, of somewhat of desperation in being able to recruit people to fight there and to be a cannon fodder in many cases. Ukrainians have fought violently. The question is how long they can keep it up. How long will the West continue to pour all of this money and support into Ukraine? Uh, can Russia outlast it? Now, the Russian alliance with Iran is growing constantly, and the Iran-China-Russia coalescence is something of concern. You know, Iran was admitted into the Shanghai Co- Cooperation Council, uh, which is uh, another blow. This is um, we, we see the countries also applying to become part of BRICS. The fact that UAE pulled out of the naval alliance and joined an Iranian-backed one in the northern Persian Gulf has to do more with America than any of the things going on in the region. And it's a message that they lack the confidence that America will be there. And when uh, ships were sieged uh, by the Iranians in the Persian Gulf in, uh, in, um, near uh, the UAE, and America didn't respond to the first instances. They said, what, what is our purpose of being in a coalition if we can't defend our own ships? So <laughs> everything, all of these are interlocking pieces, and you can't look in isolation at one thing and not look at the totality. So China's increasing role, Iran's economic conditions improving for the leadership. The economic conditions in the country are horrific. The, their currency is worthless. We have them in a difficult position, but the, they're, they're exporting a million barrels a day. They're looking to get up to two. They're exporting uh, Russian oil. The money goes to the Ayatollah, the IRGC, to the military forces and not to the people. There are still a lot of opportunities within the country. Demonstrations are still continuing. They don't get coverage. It's not on the scale before, but women go without the hijab. Everything is interrelated. You know, just back one one last point on this Russian thing. For those who believe it's important for the United States to defend those who are attacked by Russia, because obviously that's its own, you know, discussion about whether we should be involved at all. But for those who do believe so, this investment, this financial investment is looking better and better. <laughs> I mean, I know it's another billion dollars going there, but the, the chances, the odds, I don't know what the odds makers are saying, but the odds of there actually being a relative Ukrainian victory here continues to improve. Well, the Ukrainians have a victory, can claim victory because they, they've recaptured territory, but the fact that they've withstood now, for a year, the, the onslaught and the, uh, you know, the Europeans and others particularly get the message 
that this is about the future of Europe, that if one country falls, if Ukraine falls. The problem is it goes back to Crimea when we allowed the Russians just to march into Crimea, no resistance, no actions taken. Right. And why shouldn't Putin have read it as a permit for him to do it further? I think also the idea of putting missiles in Ukraine, you know, you have to think of the provocation, how the other side sees it. Uh, but the commitment, I think, is there to to want to keep Russia from taking Ukraine or taking, they don't want the whole country, they're going to take these, the Donbass and, and expand their role in other areas. Uh, and the Ukrainians can fight, but the, the, the uh, danger to them and the uh, odds that they're facing are great because he can mobilize troops and move them around. It will be inside Russia as the resistance to this grows. Uh, that we will see the difference. Also, the cutoff of certain economic things. And now they're talking about cutting, not allowing and renewing the grain shipments from Ukraine, which are really vital for Africa, for the Middle East, for many regions, and will force our prices here as well because of the shortages that this will create as we saw in the early days of the war. And it's, to me, it's a humanitarian issue, and there the UN doesn't seem to have much to say, but should be condemning this and, and the countries mobilizing against this uh, cut off our food for, for many in Africa will mean starvation. And I think, we, you know, we have to look at all these issues, see what, what can be leveraged, how you can use this, and especially what is being done inside Russia to mobilize opposition to the government's decisions. Right. Uh, well, thank you for your analysis. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Boy, lots going on, folks. Lots going on, to say the least. <laughs>